Welcome to the Spring Break Edition of the USA Christian Challenge Podcast. Right here, you're going to hear all of the roundtable discussions that are important for you and your ministry. You can learn more about us at uscchristianchallenge.com or find us on social media at USC Challenge. For now, let's hear what Seth has to say about what spiritual maturity looks like in the believer. became a Christian in college, and knowing what I know now, what do I wish I had in front of me for the next 48 years that would help me interpret what is God doing in my life, and what is he, um, and how am I to understand, what are the categories of understanding that, um, that uh, he's doing? So that, that's the premise of this. <clears throat> there are five categories they all start with the letter b uh brokenness is the first one uh and the idea behind this is that sin runs very deep in our souls and its roots are stubbornly proud now when i became a christian i was very idealistic about my own sin nature and so when i would start to sin i would thump my head and go seth how could you do that again you know better as if knowledge was the culprit. Well, knowledge was a small part, but the nature of sin is nature, not just knowledge. And sin is sort of like a big oak tree that sends its roots way down beneath the ground. And God spends a lifetime trying to dig up those roots. And it's, it's a long, arduous work. Um, the more idealistic I am about my nature, the more discouragement I set myself up for. That's just sort of one thing to keep in your head. <clears throat> the process of growing in Christ necessitates an acceptance of my depravity as a fact of life. This is not beating yourself up. Now, that's not what I'm advocating. It is a doorway to gratefully and wondrously embracing grace. That is a very important distinction. There are three difficult realities we face. We live in a fallen world. We are broken far more than we imagine. And the people with whom we relate are also broken more than we imagine. These sad realities of life, they are sad realities, but they are the soil out of which God does his redemptive work in us. So just accepting the sad reality that life is harder, me trying to follow Jesus is harder than I imagine, other people doing what seem like should be easy things to do, uh, not so much. So my application here is embrace disappointment. Disappointment is not a problem to solve. Disappointment is a doorway to engage with God. Of course, we're going to be disappointed in this world. That is a given. But what it is meant to do is to remind us to connect with God through our disappointments about what it is we're disappointed in. And there's some bullet points here that relate to this. You will sin a lot more than you think you will. Others will sin a lot more than you think they should. The world is full of disappointments, and this is by design. Our fallen world is, given, is, is, is allowed by our, our Redeemer. Uh, disappointments are one way of God's way of unvelcroing your heart 
from setting your real hopes of finding life on anything other than God himself. That you will find this over and over and over again, this process in your life of realizing you're a pin you've pinned your hopes on, on good things, um, a marriage, a career, finances, health, healthy kids. But we make those idols, we call that life, our soul defines those as life. And um, when our idols fail us, then, then we, uh, we get upset. Uh, that's brokenness. <clears throat> Belovedness is the second B. <clears throat> and this is the wonder of grace is the bottom line for the Christian, not getting it right. Uh, for the first number of years of my Christian life, I assumed or thought that the, what I, the, the most important thing was getting it right. And what I set myself up for was a lot of excess discouragement because getting it right was much harder to do than I ever imagined. But thankfully, that is not the bottom line of life. The bottom line of life is grace. And so my shorthand version is this, we are broken, but the, we are the beloved is, is beneath the brokenness. It's, it's, in, it's below, it's the foundation before or underneath our brokenness. The process of sanctification involves the regular and daily practice of brokenness, confession, humbly receiving forgiveness, and joyfully reveling in grace. That last part of that sentence is extremely important. And that is going to be the point in your life and in, in all of our lives as Christians that God is trying to, to, to um, immerse us in over and over and over again. <clears throat> uh, after you sin, uh, there's grace in his eyes. So this is one of my little shorthand ways of, of when I sin, and I tend to, um, for years, if, if Jesus walked into the room after I sinned, I would assume, just sort of live out as if he would look at me like, okay, Seth, haven't we talked about this enough? When are you going to get this right? Come on, hello. And um, that, that is not the gospel, and that's not Jesus. So if he were to sit down now after I sinned, uh, and I and I said dejectedly, you know, Jesus, I I just sinned. I, I I did this. I shouldn't have done that. I think what he would say is, "Well, duh, of course. Now let let's go eat lunch." That is grace. The point is, is not being scolded or feeling bad. The point is remembering grace and being able to get back up on the horse quickly of engaging with people. That's, that's what the belovedness um, word means there. The third B is belonging. <clears throat> uh, we need people far more than we think. Much spiritual growth happens when we're together, reflecting the wonder of grace to each other in both the receiving and giving <clears throat> is an important antidote to our ever natural self-interest and self-serving ways. It's the laboratory in which sanctification makes significant headway. Now, what, what's taken me a long time to, to really structure in my life is to, is to intentionally put people regularly in my schedule that sharpen me 
and that I have a chance to sharpen as well. So for example, uh, about seven years ago, I asked two women in our church if they would come into my office twice a month, each of them twice a month separately, and they helped me organize my work. They helped me think through people issues that, that I kind of get stuck on. Um, they helped me with decisions where I'm stuck. Um, I, wish I, had, I wish I had learned this earlier. Uh, with my wife, I sit down a lot of times and I'll say, hey, would you help me think through something? Or let's, let, would you help me think about this with me? And I, I put on my little teachability hat and I listen to what she has to say and engage with what she's saying. Um, I have a, a regular lunch appointment with an attorney friend about my age and he knows more about my inner world than, than anybody else in the entire world. And that has been a godsend to me to, to keep me moving forward. And I pay a pastor friend of mine $60 per telephone call, which we, we talk for an hour, because that conversation with him really, really helps me to, uh, to keep, to process what the, the confusion or the troubles or whatever it is I'm going through. Um, Having these people in my life helps me a lot. The fourth B is building. The most important things in life have to be built. Important things don't just happen. Uh, you have to take the initiative and persevere. Uh, that includes dating, marriage, parenting, building a career, ministry, and finances. My shorthand for this is every day, be a builder. When I come home from work at the end of the day, and I walk in the house, um, I tell myself as I walk through the door, Seth, be a builder tonight. And when I'm thinking of this, I'm going to keep building my marriage. We are now on uh, coming up on our 43rd anniversary. Now, what, what does be a builder look like in my marriage at this point in life? I go find my wife wherever she's sitting, and I plop down in a chair in front of her, and I say with all of the... Um, enthusiasm I can muster, tell me about your day. As if there is nothing else that I would rather hear than what she's about to tell me. Now, if you were watching this on a camera, you would think this seems so insignificant, so small. But over the course of 42 years, daily, building, you can build something strong that has some strength to it and some beauty to it. The same is true with finances, the same is true with a career. These things just don't magically appear normally to us. We, they have to be intentional. The last B is bridging. And the idea here is, is not just that reaching out to lost people is important, being on mission is important. They obviously are, but as well, is that me being involved in the mission and with lost people also is part of my own spiritual growth. Because what it does is it exposes that I don't care about as people as much as I'd like to think I do. And I am stretched to care for people more the way Jesus cares for people, sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so if I think if I was sitting where you are, knowing what I know now, I would take this piece of paper, I would go buy a frame, 
and I would put this frame picture over my dresser or on my desk where every day at least I had a chance to see these five words because these five concepts and words are the major things I think in my opinion God is trying to build in all of us over the course of a lifetime okay okay until they come and interrupt us let's do some questions where, where does your mind go with some of this I like how you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the intro, um, you spend a little bit of time talking about um, when we sin and understanding to like embrace disappointment in the sense like knowing it's um, it's part of it and like not beating ourselves up because I feel like I, I fall victim to that sometimes. But understanding that we we're, we live in a fallen world and we're fallen beings, but um, we can continue to strive for better at the same time. Yes, uh, I, I've, I've been good in my younger years at beating up myself. Uh, I used to think I might have a spiritual gift in that area. <laughs> um, but I, I um, that is certainly not the gospel. And um, I think the, the culprit in my life, I think, the, the greatest culprit has been pride, wounded pride that wants to believe that once I get something, I should know it and be able to, to put it into practice regularly. And, and that is reflective of um, not only pride, but, but a, a minimalist view of the problem of sin in my life. And um, the more that I realize that depravity is really, it's not just a knowledge problem, but it is, but it is a stubborn will problem it is a resistance problem. It is a rebellion problem. Uh, there is a, a spirit of entitlement to sin, uh, kind of a, I deserve better. Uh, there's a demanding spirit that's wrapped up in our sin nature. All of these things make a formidable foe that, that you and I are fighting in ourselves, the battle of, of flesh and spirit. And it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult um, battle than, than we imagine. And I set myself up for um, a, a considerable amount of extra discouragement um, by having this illusion that, that once I know something, I should be able to put it into practice. Um, and, and that's just not true in our battle with, with our sin nature. It is much, it is a much rougher, it, it is, it is spiritual warfare, um, flesh and spirit. It, it is a battle. But, but I think that, um, I like what C.S. Lewis said about this. He, he was, he was really struggling with an issue in his life and we're not told what it is. I think it's lust. That's my guess. And he wished, he, he kept asking God that God would take this away. And he noticed that God wasn't taking that temptation away. And he finally thought, you know, well, God, you could take this away. I wonder if there's a redemptive reason why you're not. 
And the conclusion he, he wondered about was, I wonder if it is more redemptive from God's point of view and for my own growth for me to struggle with temptation than it would be to not have it at all. And so then he began to think, well, what's redemptive about this? And he, and he came up with this list of very familiar things. It, it increases humility. It causes me to call out to God at a deeper level. It deepens my prayer life. Um, it makes me um, more approachable by other people. Uh, and it, and it, it forces me to engage with other people who can help me, i.e. humility and teachability. Now, I resonate with that testimony. I would have to say that's certainly been true in my life. Um, I, I, my lifelong things have been, I would say, the general category of lust and the general category of discouragement. And I, on many times, wish I had a magic wand or God would wave his magic wand. And he just hasn't up until now. Uh, I doubt he's going to. But the redemptive nature of dealing with these things, even though it's very annoying, <laughs> has certainly been um, the soil out of which uh, maturity, humility, um, mercy towards others, extending grace to others, uh, seeing my fellow strugglers, um, he has certainly used this. That's a great question, Caleb. All right. Uh, some... Oh, yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Okay? Eduardo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks so much for coming today and, and sharing this uh, with us. I really appreciate it. My question is, you know, as with everything worth building, right? You mentioned marriage, you mentioned finances. Uh, it's a long run game. And, you know, a lot of people don't build their finances over time because it's hard, right? Or they, they lose at the middle or something with like New Year's resolutions, right? After, yes. you know, the second month. So do you have any advice on how we can get stamina, right? On this, you know, daily building that we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. What's a daily thing that we can be doing to keep up, you know, uh, maybe the vision at the forefront of our minds or even just like the energy to keep doing said time with Jesus, um, right? Prayer, um, uh, memory, like verse memorization, right? Or anything? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there is, uh, there's a little book that's been very helpful to me. Uh, and I think I got it as an audio book. Um, let me see if I remember what the, the, it's called The Slight Edge. The slight edge. And the premise of the book is, really relates to your question, Eduardo. What we like to think is that some super effort next week will, will bring about the big result we're looking for. Or, or the super effort over the next month or three months will bring, you know, our ship will come in. The big effort will, will bring big benefit. And he said that most of the time in life, that's not how it works. And so what happens is we make big effort and then we get discouraged when we don't see the results that we thought were going to happen and we fall back into old patterns. So the, 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 the prime example here is, is New Year's resolutions and I wanna lose weight, I go to the gym 
and you know, within a couple of weeks, we, we don't see the results we were hoping for and we quit going. Well, that's also true with finances. It's true in marriage, it's true in a career. So his premise is the people that, and, and they use, he uses your, your phrase, Eduardo, you're playing the long game. And so his point of view is, you wanna think about where do I wanna be in one of these areas? And then you think, what can I do today that is sustainable that I can do tomorrow? And that is repeatable the next day. And so <clears throat> he, the idea is once you, once you find that, that small thing you can do today that you can do tomorrow. And, and for me, I think about five minutes. Um, then you take your eye off the long goal and you trust the slight edge. You're not looking for the immediate benefit even three months from now or a year from now. You are trusting the process of the slight edge. So in my marriage example, when I come home and I, and I plop down and I say, Mindy, tell me about your day. That is something that's repeatable or some form of that is repeatable every day. And over the course of many, many years, um, good things happen through that kind of small thing. Uh, related to finances, uh, when, we were when we were young and married, we were living on a shoestring. And I had a friend of mine say, ask me, he's a CPA, how much do you guys save a month? And I laughed. I said, we don't save anything per month. He said, why not? He said, I said, we always run out of money at the end of the month. And um, so to make a long story short, he said, well, how much do you think you're supposed to save a month? And I said, well, you know, $100 a month. But so far you've saved nothing a month. Yeah. He said, do you think you could save $10 this month? I said, well, yeah, I could do that. And so somewhere during, that, during the, the month of January, this is years ago, I went to the bank and I put $10 in our savings account for the first time. And when I got done, I was euphoric. I had finally accomplished something towards our savings account. When February came, I put in $20. And I thought, I've doubled my goal, $10 a month. Now, you know, it, it's, a, it's a funny illustration. It's a silly illustration, but that's what got me going. So I, I, really, I really like that thing of the slight edge. Okay, Aaron, are we? Uh... You're up here, you're gonna deep one out, so I know Okay, I'm passing you on to Aaron. It was, it was fun being with you all. Thanks for listening to the Spring Break edition of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes because it helps us reach others with these resources. Once again, you can learn more about us at uscchristianchallenge.com or find us on social media at USC Challenge.